welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending June 3rd, 2023. This week, the wheels have come off in Hollywood, although the box office would say otherwise. I'm Kim Hollis, marketing expert, old school box office analyst, and once again, wearing that Star Wars shirt David hates. <laughs> With me are Tim Brighty, content creator and gamer, wondering where all these damn onions came from. Guess what I just watched. Mm-hmm. I bet we'll talk about that later. David Mumpower, author of Disney Demystified, streaming media analyst, and congratulating Raul's daughter for graduating. Yay! That's incredible. Also, we're old. (laughs) (laughs) And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burial, who's been running late all week. I am definitely missing a meeting right about now. (laughs) In our rapid fire this week, as turmoil in Hollywood continues, streamers are trying to figure out how to survive. More titles have been purged from Disney Plus and Hulu. Netflix is alienating its subscribers with its new password sharing policy. And with cord cutting accelerating, new data suggests that consumers are not switching to streaming. I'm telling you guys, the future is TikTok. Who knew? Quibi had it right all along. (laughs) I think China knew. (laughs) Man, Quibi was just three years early to the party. And also (laughs) terrible. That too. So it still might not have worked, but they may have had a better shot now. Yeah, this is an open-ended one, and I don't even know how we want to start, but I do want to mention I was very surprised to learn on Monday morning, I woke up to the news that Marvel's Runaways had been removed from Disney Plus and Hulu. That wasn't on any of the lists I saw, and we hadn't watched all of season two yet. I have literally on a TiVo right now. That's right. We've kept some TiVos for storage reasons. I have the entire season of Runaways in one compact file, but it's season one. I didn't think to do it for season two, so I'm screwed. There were a lot more titles than Disney had indicated. They're going to do a markdown of $1.5 billion. They had previously indicated, you know, how they were going to get to that point. But then the titles wound up being a lot more than had previously been acknowledged. And we were all kind of off guard. And then there's the Netflix thing. Raul is joking about how his ex-wife has decided she's just going to cancel. That's apparently a thing. I live in fear right now that I'm going to get, you know, a Netflix email saying, hey, we've noticed all your people on your account. I don't know how it hasn't happened yet. When Netflix said, share your password, we were crazy enough to believe them. So we did that. So I have a large family and a lot of people on Netflix. Thank God they don't watch much. It's a mess, isn't it, Roel? It is. And I'm not entirely sure how we're going to make this work. David Zaslov, a few weeks ago, the uh, paragon of virtue and the savior of Hollywood, evidently, (laughs) has suggested that streamers are going to have to start bundling themselves together in order to survive. Was it the Hollywood Reporter that was calling it the great rebundling? We got into streaming essentially to get out of bundles that the cable companies were forcing onto us. And that's exactly where we're going right back into. Now, are these companies all going to be able to play nicely together? Is Disney going to play nicely with Paramount and Warner Brothers? And they're going to create one great big bundle so that we can pay one price and watch everything together? That seems highly unlikely. What's more likely is honestly is that some of these studios are going to collapse entirely and they're going to start licensing out their content out again to other streamers like they used to do historically when they license their content out to Netflix and whether or not that is going to remain a viable income stream for these studios or not is another matter given that we are 
neck deep in labor turmoil in Hollywood. Yeah, Jason Kyler evaluated the same situation the totally different way than Zaslav because Kyler got it and Zaslav is never going to. Jason Kyler said, we can't be sharing anything with Amazon. We need 100% of our cut of our streaming. Zaslav goes the entirely different way. He like, oh, wow, Amazon's great. We should do that. And then we should share our profits with other people. And strangely for a money guy, he is now talking about introducing not one, but two middlemen for this process. It is absolute madness. And it just shows how we keep reiterating the guy doesn't know what he's doing and everything he does is panic fire. The whole thing is fascinating to watch because we do have too many different streaming services and we have people making the decisions who've realized, oh my goodness, this is how much money we're losing from cable erosion. We have to get that back. So let's just recreate cable on streaming. But you can't do a square peg round hole with this. Everything in a new marketplace is dynamic and evolving. And what we've learned is People don't want the old model. If they did, they wouldn't have cut the cord in the first place. But the people trying to make the decisions are trying to shove consumers back to a place where they don't want. And then they're surprised to learn, hey, what did you say, Raul? The numbers are showing people aren't actually adapting because they don't want to do it. And what is probably the most surprising news to come out this week is that as people are quitting the cord, they're not necessarily subscribing to alternative streaming services. People seem to be quite content to not see that content in a different way. The perception had always been that if you're cutting the cord and you're no longer accessing ABC or NBC or ESPN through the cable company, that you would then subscribe to a streaming service that would give you those same shows just on demand through your internet pipes. And that's not really what's happening. People are finding other means of entertainment. And some of those other means of entertainment are probably a lot of the free content that you're seeing. And yes, I make the joke that it's TikTok, but it's also Instagram. It's also YouTube. They're the inheritors of the cord cutters. Hollywood's got to be scared that this is going to be a long running trend. They were already concerned that they weren't making enough money from their subscription services. They're losing that revenue stream from carriage fees from the cable companies. And now the alternative smaller revenue that they expected to get from the streaming services is just not going to materialize. We sometimes reference a South Park gag that's 20 years old and still just as funny today, which is when the gnomes acquired underwear as step one and then and step three was profit, and they never could figure out what step two was. Step two is everything. We are currently in step two of the streaming adaptation phase, and everybody's looking around at each other going, I, I got nothing. What do you got? We are in a situation where streaming consumers are unlikely to add new services unless there is new high-profile content, which costs more money, which cuts into the nut that they're trying to build as the producers of the content, which means, as we've seen with Disney and Peacock recently, the more they add subscribers, the worse their losses are, the more substantial their losses are. And there's not a great solution right now. And what's not helping anything, what's really causing the panic is, Roll, I know we've talked about this a couple of times, but it's just mind blowing how quickly people are abandoning cable television, isn't it? Yeah, the the rate of cord cutting is accelerating. The cable companies ha seem to have suggested that they're not all that concerned about it because their real revenue is in internet access subscriptions. If you're cutting the cord with Comcast, you're still paying Comcast because 
because you need internet access to be able to stream Netflix or Paramount Plus or Max, or even if you don't subscribe to those services, you still need internet to access YouTube and TikTok and Instagram. Now, this is where other players like T-Mobile and Verizon now become players because they also offer you internet services. What the people cutting the cord were most frustrated about was the constant increase in subscription rates that was driven by higher and higher carriage fees for sports. I would say the biggest losers here, even more than, say, Hollywood or the cable companies, is going to be sports franchises. Every year, your internet bill would get more and more expensive because the money that you pay to the cable companies resulted in more money to sports teams. We mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. ESPN alone is making about $700 million monthly. ESPN alone, $700 million monthly just from carriage fees. And now you're hearing that as many as 9.3 million people might cut the cable this year. That directly costs Disney $81 million. Just that one thing right there. That's how dramatic it is. And a lot of that money doesn't go right into Disney's pockets because a lot of that money is actually used to pay for NBA rights or NHL rights or MLB rights. That all trickled down into a higher cable bill for a consumer every year. So what we're seeing now is as people start cutting the cord, these more expensive contracts for the leagues and the teams are unsustainable. And we saw it already with the collapse of the regional sports networks. In fact, we learned this week that Diamond Sports hasn't been able to pay for the rights for the San Diego Padres. And so now the Padres have regained the rights to their baseball games. And those games are going to start showing up, what, on MLB.tv? Oh, it's, it's a total mess. Let's just go ahead and follow up on the story that we noticed a couple of years ago. We were early on this one and we are now in the end game. Diamond Sports' basic purpose has always been either to survive long enough to get gambling money or to die screaming. And it's going to be die screaming because a bankruptcy judge just ruled that Diamond Sports has to pay four different baseball teams, including like the Minnesota Twins, for their product for this year. And if Diamond cannot come up with that money, they immediately cede rights. And the thing about it is, Diamond is stuck between Scylla and Charybdis right now where they can't make any money without these rights, but they can't pay for these rights because they're not making any money. They're absolutely paralyzed now. And that judge's bankruptcy court ruling pretty much ensures they're going to lose four more teams. With San Diego, what happened was even if you had MLB TV, you have to turn around and pay for San Diego on MLB TV, which is just crazy to me, but that's how they're going to replace money in the short term. And then for 2024, we're kicking the can down the road We'll figure it out later. MLB TV, as a reminder, covers all 30 teams in baseball. But if your team loses their current RSN deal, you still have to buy MLB TV again, and it's like $19.99 a month, which isn't that different from the price we made fun of Bally for suggesting 18 months ago when they were saying $24.99. It is the messiest mess that ever messed. And this money is money that teams like the Minnesota Twins and the San Diego Padres would have used to pay for their all-star players, if they have any. And now this is money that they don't have. This is going to adversely affect massively professional sports going forward. Yeah, San Diego actually has one of the largest payrolls this season. They acquired a couple of superstars over the last couple of years. They have payroll of $233 million, and they faced 
a lack of funds from Diamond that if baseball hadn't figured out a way around it would have been costly. And on the Diamond perspective, it's been fascinating. Like they went ahead and paid for all the rights to the Atlanta Braves. They have basically made a calculation of which of the baseball teams this year are most profitable for them. And so they're able to pay Peter, but not Paul right now and it can't last there is a leaking dike right now and they're plugging all their fingers in as the leaks spring but the water is not just at their eyes anymore which is what we've been saying the water is over their head now and they can't breathe underwater and just to close out the conversation i wanted to add that at the end of this month at the end of june comcast subscribers who have been getting peacock for free since the launch of the streaming service will no longer have access to that streaming service they're going to have to start paying a monthly fee Granted, it's only $4.99 a month, but they're going to have to start paying a monthly fee for that streaming service. The free ride's over. So here's yet another streaming service. And let's be honest, it's one of the least successful of the current streaming services that's about to take a huge hit as arguably a number of those subscribers aren't going to bother with that $4.99 a month and Peacock's going to lose a number of subscribers. It is just not looking really good for, for streaming and broadly speaking for Hollywood would right now. All right, Tim, take us into the box office because I know that there is a big story this week. Yeah, and it's Fast X completely falling off the face of no, wait, it's we've got <laughs> the long-awaited sequel to Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse, and yeah, it kind of exploded out of the gate after a 17 million Thursday, which became a 51.7 million Friday. Holy crap. That's going to translate to, oh man, like what, 125, $130 million weekend? Is that good? Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> very, very good. <laughs> we knew how beloved the first one was. I don't have too much exposure to advertising. I was probably aware it was coming out thanks to probably like Burger King. That was about the extent of it that I forgot that this was coming out this week until like Wednesday. And I'm like, oh yeah, I can't wait. Oh my God, it's the Into the Spider-Verse sequel. But this is this just proof of how the quality of the first film just sells tickets to the second. It's something we've we've stated for years at box office, and this is this is it to a T. Yeah, I will say that part of it is the fact that it looked visually just spectacular. I went back and watched scenes from 2018's film. They have upgraded the graphics a comical amount, and it really does feel like a living, breathing comic book now and it's just an amazing feat and i think we never know for sure with these things but i think it's going to avoid being front loaded because the word of mouth on this should be as good as it gets it's off the charts yeah oh you you loved it yeah but i I was actually surprised that cinema score was only an a and i realized why that happened very specifically there's one thing in it that would cause that But the movie is flawless, and say what you will about everything else happening with Marvel right now, Spider-Man movies just don't miss. And it's ironically the one property that Disney doesn't control, <laughs> which just makes me makes me laugh for some reason. Yeah, just it's hard to compare to the first one because that opened in December, which is traditionally smaller opening, and and then you get those holiday legs. But yeah, the first one in December 2018 opened to 35 million, so that's already beaten that weekend. It finished with 190 million domestically, which is fantastic because it, it just had fantastic legs because it was good. At the end of 2018, as we t- turn the calendar 2019. It had made 108 million. This one's going to make more than that in, in three possibly, days, possibly two days. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. And now this will, I thought it was probably going to be Mission Impossible when, when my 
my parents will actually probably go see it, but this will actually might be the first thing I see in theaters since since COVID. Can't recommend it enough. It's great. Elsewhere with the holiday weekend last weekend, we, Little Mermaid ended up being a little bit front loaded. It came in with 95 million for three days and then 118 and four. So, I mean, that's still very good. Still solid. Yeah, absolutely. We thought this was going to totally top Aladdin's weekend after that Friday number, but it ended up being a little more front-loaded and came in with 118, which actually just edges out Aladdin with 116.8 over the Memorial Day weekend. So, but this is still very good. I'm glad to see because, you know, there's that fake manufactured outrage over, you know, who's playing Ariel, but it's still a very good movie and Disney is still doing pretty well with the live action adaptations that they have faith in. It seems if they don't, they kind of toss it onto Disney Plus, but they knew this one was going to be well done. So they they made sure to cash in with the holiday weekend box office. And I'd say that was a good move on their part. All right. Well, now that we've talked about the awesomeness of Spider-Man, let's talk about the ratings. Sure. We have the Nielsen streaming ratings for Monday, May 1st, you Sunday, May 7th, 2023. It's a new month. So guess what that's going to mean for the movies chart. But more on that in a moment. Other than that, it is a pretty quiet week. We only have one new show, but it's kind of a big one. And it is the, of course, the most watched thing of the week. Uh, Your top original show, Queen Charlotte, a Bridgerton story, six episodes, 1.9 billion minutes. What the heck? For something that just appeared on May 4th. So yeah, this Mm -hmm. is not even the full week. And yeah, almost hitting two bill for the Bridgerton spinoff. Yeah, that is pretty great. I don't think we have anything more to say about this other than, well, it's Bridgerton. We we find a new people. We're going to watch it. And it's been a pretty math couple weeks in, in the ratings. So, yeah, we're not surprised here at all, are we? But I, I guess no. it might even do even more next week than with the full week. Yeah, if Shonda builds it, they will come. Mm-hmm. I would like to thank people centuries ago for wearing horrible, uncomfortable costumes so that now we can have mild television entertainment. <laughs> And the rest is shows we've seen before. Um, second is still Firefly Lane, 26 episodes, 1.2 billion minutes for its 26 episodes, second and final season now complete. And thankfully, we'll say goodbye to this show pretty soon. Uh, Sweet Tooth still third, 1 billion minutes. And this one already got a third season. So we'll see this one again once those episodes come out, maybe next year, maybe two years from now, who knows. Up to fourth, Ted Lasso, 30 episodes. So a few more to go, the whole the whole month to go, really. 715 million minutes, mostly because these episodes are all a billion hours long. Fifth, The Diplomat from Netflix, 711 million minutes. Six, Working Moms, we saw that return last week. 579 million minutes, 483 episodes as its final season arrived on the service. Another ending show, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel from Prime Video, 40 episodes, 416 million minutes. The Night Agent, still in eighth, 410 million minutes. The Mandalorian, so Disney Plus gets gets on the list again, still 319 million minutes as it hangs on there. And Beef, a former top original show, 309 million minutes for 10 episodes. It's a strange list. We're seeing the marquee streaming shows for a number of different streaming services here with Prime Video and The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Apple TV Plus with Ted Lasso, and Disney Plus with The Mandalorian. I don't think we're going to be seeing a list like this for a long time to come. Yeah, that is a good point. It's only kind of missing Hulu and either you know, Handmaid's Tale or Only Murders in the Building, whatever you want right. to call their, their flagship show. And then the usual stuff, Netflix just just, just pumps out that, that people watch. But yeah, that's, that's a good point. Movies is led by A Man Called Otto, 879 million minutes for the theatrical release from earlier this year, starring America's dad, Tom Hanks. <laughs> 
a very strong showing for a movie for a change. Yeah, actually, that's actually good to see because movies has been kind of weak lately, even for the top movie. How, how well did this do in theaters? If I remember correctly, it overperformed. Not many people expected a Tom Hanks drama at, what was it, Christmas time to do as well as it did. Okay, yeah, they got a technical just-in-time-for-rewards release very late December in a couple theaters, which, of course, didn't materialize. But when it went wide in mid-January, it came in with 12.8 million for its opening weekend and actually finished with 64. So not too bad. And then now here it is on Netflix and a bunch of people said, oh, Tom Hanks, I'll watch that. A little bit of counter-programming for Avatar, The Way of Water, I suppose. Oh yes, of course, because that was still dominating theaters through much of January. All right. So if it's a movie that wasn't on the list last week, it's because it showed up on Netflix on May 1st. And the first of those is in second. At least I'll excuse this one because I adore this movie, Pitch Perfect, 474 million minutes. Putting that spinoff on Peacock is finally paying off. <laughs> right. That <laughs> the, the bumper spinoff is on Peacock, and so, and I believe we'll actually have a second season. But yeah, just the first one. I don't, I don't know if the other two, the second and third, are still on Peacock, but just the first one came back to Netflix on, on May 1st. But this one's good. You should watch this one if you haven't already. AKA, we saw last week, 362 million minutes in third. Something else new, and I was assuming this was a new movie until we looked it up. The Dilemma, 297 million minutes. Oh, dear. This was a 2011 film star. St- <laughs> starring Vince Vaughn and Kevin James. And I completely forgot it existed until this very moment. Another returning movie in fifth, The Croods, 274 million minutes. This one just must ping pong back and forth because isn't this a DreamWorks production? And then those tend to be on Peacock? or That's right. Yeah, it must be in its fourth rotation at this point. Yes, exactly. (laughs) They just, imagine those meetings, they're just trading movies back and forth. Like, do you want The Croods? Sure, whatever. Uh, Disney Plus content is 6th, 7th, and 8th. Peter Pan and Wendy. We saw that premiere last week, 245 million minutes for that live action adaptation. And then the evergreen content, Encanto, 206 million minutes, and Moana, 202 million minutes. So we've established about 200 million minutes is the bar for those two movies. And we can safely write off Peter Pan and Wendy is not necessarily a bomb per se, but certainly not anything that is lighting up Disney Plus. A big, a big disappointment, yeah. In ninth, Above Suspicion from 2019, 200 million minutes. Amelia Clark, Jack Houston, and Johnny Knoxville star in this crime thriller. In case you were wondering what, you know, if you ever were hoping that Amelia Clark and Johnny Knoxville would, would do something together, there you go. <laughs> and in 10th, The Glass Castle, uh, 166 only minutes for this 2017 movie. <sighs> this one is a biopic and has Brie Larson, along with Naomi Watts and Woody Harrelson. Also forgot this, this existed until this very moment as well. It's nice that all these movies can find new life and streaming. It's, it's very interesting that they yeah, existed before it, that. Right. It is endlessly fascinating that this happens. And, and I'm sure it's just due to the size and just marketing power of Netflix. Like people will, well, let's, let's, let's figure out something to watch on Netflix. And, and they, oh, this is, this looks new. It's not new, but it's new to Netflix. So they, they consider it new and people say, okay, sure. I'll watch that. Acquired is 10 shows we have seen before led once again by the almighty Coco Melon, 22 episodes, 759 million minutes. It's the, the usual slate of shows we've seen before. I, I do want to mention like Succession is still here in eighth. 36 episodes, 501 million minutes. I feel that that's a very, maybe it's just the way I've cultivated my social media, but I I feel like it's something that that everyone I I follow is talking about, even though I've never watched it. And then I see the number and it's kind of middling. Like it's not pulling in, say, like the numbers that say The Last of Us or House of the Dragon we're pulling in for HBO Max. And also it is fascinating. We realized the other day in the span of 
a week, Mrs. Maisel, Succession, Barry, a show we've never seen, but is also you know pretty well acclaimed, and Ted Lasso all ended. There are not many other you know things that can compare to that that sort of streak. Yeah, we're gonna have to find ourselves some new marquee shows to uh, rave about. What are we gonna watch? Coco Melon and Bluey. Period. <laughs> Bluey in third, 719 million minutes. So, okay, one, one of these days I'll, I'll subject myself to that. But that's all for ratings. It's a pretty explosive number for Queen Charlotte and it'll probably go up next week. And yeah, just the usual slate of movies returning to Netflix and people watching them. And I'm curious to see what happens as, you know, Ted Lasso and Mrs. Nasal near their conclusions because they will still add episodes throughout the month. All right. As always, we wrap up the show with what's been keeping us busy over the last week. And David and I saw a movie in the theater for a second week in a row. Holy cow. I don't know the last time we did that. (laughs) And it was, of course, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. This movie is amazing. The first movie was also amazing, but I am just lost in admiration at how fantastic it is. David and I walked out of the movie and were talking about it in terms of being among the best animated films ever, at least. I love the characters. I love the animation style. I love the humor. I love the music. It all just comes together fantastically. David and I, I know we cannot wait to get it on streaming or some possibility of watching it on our television so we can pause it and see all the things that we know we missed because there's a lot, a lot, a lot that happens and it will have incredibly high rewatchability factor. And And I know we'll talk about it in just a second, but Ted Lasso finale, I loved it. It closed out the show in a very beautiful and wonderful way. Raul, how about you? Well, I did something unconventional last weekend and binged a bunch of movies. I started with Shazam! Fury of the Gods on Max, which I finally was able to get to load. While the movie was pretty much a boilerplate superhero slugfest, I can't believe that this is only Rachel Ziegler's second movie role ever. She is fantastic. This woman is going to be a huge star. What are we all waiting for? And Helen Mirren, Uh, still brought her a game. I don't know that this woman is capable of phoning it in. It was like she was in a different movie. She was just fantastic the whole time. I also watched Cocaine Bear on Peacock and it left me unimpressed. I'm not sure I have much more to say about it. I suppose I was expecting more, a lot more. But if I had to say just what I was expecting, I don't know if I could tell you. Just not this rather dull monster slasher movie. I then watched the Paul Thomas Anderson movie Licorice Pizza on Amazon Prime Video. I keep watching his movies with an expectation of seeing something incredible. People rave that Paul Thomas Anderson is a fantastic movie maker. He has delivered a couple of great movies such as Punch Drunk Love and Boogie Nights, but most of his movies are just head scratchers and this one included. I'm not entirely sure what this movie is supposed to be about. And also on Prime Video, I saw the BJ Novak movie Vengeance, which I suppose is one of those allegories about West Coast elites versus people in the flyover states. Novak plays a podcaster who flies out to Texas for the funeral of a girl he'd met in New York who died of an overdose. But it turns out that there may be more to her death, and he turns his investigation into a podcast about, quote, 
those silly rednecks who have to fabricate a conspiracy when reality isn't to their liking. Finally, I watched Ice Road on Netflix of the multiple Liam Neeson driving a truck through the snow movies. I'd recommend Cold Pursuit over this one, but as a rather generic movie about having to deliver a drill head to a remote mine across a frozen lake, Ice Road certainly has a lot of action and checks off all the requisite plot elements. And I will say also, I watched exactly half of the Witcher prequel, Blood Origin. I thought people were review bombing this miniseries because it didn't have Geralt in it. But as it turns out, no, it just really isn't all that good. I would have finished watching it, but I ran out of Netflix halfway through watching it. (laughs) I may get around to it at some point once I renew my subscription, but that's probably not going to be happening for a while. I would definitely agree that if you're going to choose a Liam Neeson in the snow movie, Cold Pursuit is the way to go. That movie is great. Tim, how about you? So I guess the theme with the two things I'm going to mention this week is how the endings basically saved them. And the first, of course, is Ted Lasso. The finale was excellent. It wrapped everything up in a tidy bow, which was maybe a little disappointing in in that regard. You kind of wonder if they couldn't leave things open just just in case, but it was absolutely just, you know, it was very satisfying. It it was funny in actual multiple moments, which had been missing for a lot of the season. Heartbreaking in others, but it made me pretty happy and probably elevated what was kind of a mess of a season to like at least a full letter grade. Those last two episodes, definitely they course corrected, or at least they figured out something was wrong and they managed to to stick the landing. So yeah, very, very happy about that. And the other thing, which is going to make David mad, AEW's latest pay-per-view, Double or Nothing, was on Sunday. Oh, you hope it's just me you make mad. If Tim <laughs> comes at you from the top rope, you're a ghost. <laughs> the opening battle royal was fine. It, it, Wonderful. It, yeah, it, they had a, uh, the ending was very fun. The ending was great. Uh, the ending was but, great. Yeah. Yeah. The ending was the ending was great. And then there was just multiple matches of just overbooked nonsense, which is very unlike AEW to be like. And then I I actually found people being online being like, something's not right here. This doesn't this does not feel like like an AEW show. Yes, I know David's gonna defend the whole entire thing and call and call it perfect. But yeah, there were a couple matches there that were just like, what is this? This is a mess. What is going on? But thankfully, the final two matches saved it especially the four-way match with the the AEW pillars, MJF, Jungle Boy Jack Perry, Darby Allen, and Sammy Guevara absolutely saved that show. They had an, an amazing match, even though you absolutely knew there was no way MJF was going to lose. The callbacks and the spots were very entertaining and had a very fun finish. And then just the ridiculous brawl at the end, the anarchy in the arena featuring an, an exploding super kick and just absolute nonsense of a brawl. It was a lot of fun. I can, of course, do without the blood and thumbtacks and stuff that they seem to insist involving on every single match. And it had a surprise twist ending, which was hinted at a couple weeks ago if you uh, had been watching their show. So yeah, those those last two matches absolutely saved the show, but the middle was kind of mad, which is surprising for an AW pay-per-view. I mean, it's still good, but it was probably their, their weakest show that they've ever had, but it was still, you know, well above average. Okay, so now I'll tell you what actually happened to Double or Nothing. Not in Tim's fake reality. I don't know what universe he's living in. There was just an incredible end to the Battle Royale where Swerve Strickland did his best Wiley Coyote. You had to see it to get it, but it was absolutely spectacular. 10 out of 10 stuff. There was an Adam Cole-Chris Jericho match that wasn't as good, and the reason why was Jericho had just had a similar match with Roderick Strong with a better finish. That was literally it. The only down point of 
the entire pay-per-view other than the thing with Jamie Hayter, which anybody been paying attention knew was going to happen because she's seriously injured right now and can't defend her belt. There was an incredible House of Black versus the acclaimed match. Kim, you were just wild for that one, weren't you? Yeah, that was a great fun match. Wardlow and Christian Cage. What did you think about that, Kim? I thought that was a great match. That was a lot of fun. Where it looked like he bit the thumb off of a wrestler pretending to be a dinosaur. Yes. Yeah. That a dinosaur doesn't have opposable and... thumbs, Kim. It's incredible <laughs> comedy. <laughs> <laughs> at least like it, but you are so anti AEW. It makes you at least in the six ten match, which was pretty good. So that's in the latter half of. Oh, of, so of the now film. it's pretty good. So oh, that, okay. That, that at, at least you know they, they gave the hot tag to fifty nine year old Billy Gunn, who at least then got pinned after one move, which makes sense. So Wardlow Christian Cage, you're saying that wasn't probably no, that the was... smartest ladder match ever? Is that really the cage argument you want to make? Yeah, that was that was not good. I'm sorry, Kim. Would you like to counter Tim? I mean, it was great. Christian's great. Wardlow's great. Tim's just delusional. Anyway, there was also the incredible thing with Chris Statlander making her triumphant return. She suffered two serious knee injuries. She was the one who broke Jade Cargill's streak, and AEW streaks actually end. It's a nice thing about this company, unlike some other ones run by sex pests, where somebody can be champion for, my God, this is a real thing, a, a thousand, thousand days. days. It is just so comically bad there. So it was a wonderful pay-per-view, but, you know, on top of that, which is just objective truth, we also want to talk about Across the Spider-Verse, and Kim referenced it. It's absolutely true. When we got out of the theater, I looked at her and I said, am I being crazy if I say that's in the conversation for best animated movie ever? Not comic book movie, not movie involving spider characters. I am saying best animated movie ever. I think it legitimately enters my top 10. And oh, by the way, as a reminder, I've watched 20,000 movies a lot of them animated titles. It was incredible. And as nitpicky as I am, you know, like Tim with AEW level nitpicky, it's that extreme. I have no complaints about this film. None whatsoever. It was flawless in construction. Absolutely flawless. And Kim is referencing the fact that it would do Spider-Man quips, but it would do them in a way that you didn't have to care. Like the audio would be down low and then there would be like, you know, little comic book pop-up messages. And they were hilarious. And it was a dense film, but you didn't have to pay attention to them to still enjoy it. It was visual art. And I was in awe of it. Just absolutely incredible. 10 out of 10 stuff. Legitimately, one of the best movies of the 21st century. And I'll be surprised if it's not my number one movie of 2023. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at StreamingVoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon at patreon.com slash streaming void. Be sure to watch for us again next week.